0: Good morning. Merry Christmas. So good to see everybody here this morning. Um, you already know that um, our theme for this year is Magnify. Um, before we dive into Magnify, I just wanna do two things real quick. The first thing is i want to throw out a statement, and then the second thing is I wanna read a passage of scripture. It speaks directly to the Christmas story and all the details around that, and I believe we should be reading this passage every year. Um, And as we read this passage, I would like for you to to pay attention to all the strange things that are happening as we read through this passage. But let's kick off with, with a statement. So here we go. So the statement is this. So I believe that the birth of Jesus was the single biggest event of all human history. I'm going to say that again because I thought I was going to get at least like one amen. It feels like we have at least 250 people here this morning, at least one amen. The birth of Jesus, I believe, was the single biggest event in all of human history. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was slightly better. So I believe that with all my heart, but there's a reason for that. So if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, we should be able to give some sort of a reason. Why do we believe that? If this is true, We need to be able to answer why. And we're gonna dig into that when we speak a little bit more about magnifying just a bit. We need to be able to answer that question. The next thing I said I was gonna do is read a portion of scripture. So we're gonna look at Luke chapter two from verse eight. So I'm just gonna warn you again, there's a bunch of very interesting things that that we're gonna read about now. So I want you to pay attention to things that are weird. And what I mean by weird is that if you had to walk out here today, and encounter one of these things. You might go, ooh, that exact sound, with a, with a rising inflection at the end, like, ooh, that was strange. I, I didn't I don't expect to encounter that. It's not something you'd walk into, spa, and go, ooh, mm, this is normal. Okay, are you ready? Ready for the passage? You're gonna, are you ready to also count with me all the things that are slightly odd? Are you gonna do this with me? Thank you for the incredible response this morning. I think, I think you're hungry. You're ready for lunch? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you in just a bit, but at least count with me. You know, you won't, you're gonna need only 10 fingers, I think, at least. All right, should we go? Luke chapter two from verse eight. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. His name, he is, sorry, the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in a cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared. With the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. So lots of interesting stuff. So, how many like things do you think or did you encounter in that passage that was slightly strange? You walk outside the next moment, ooh, if you had to encounter one of those. How many did you count that was slightly weird? Throw out a number. Five, did you say two? Two, any other numbers? Ten, Ten, okay, good, at least ten, I said at least ten fingers. Seven, four, okay, so what were some of those strange things? Angels, Angels, yes, I want to hear this little girl in front here. Okay, (laughs) cool, say again shepherds yeah shepherds shepherds are definitely not common even though believe it or not i had a friend who studied theology with me and he was actually a shepherd in this village and he shepherded a flock of sheep so they actually do exist just not as common so yes shepherds we said angels absolutely let me tell you if you walk out those doors and you encounter an angel you'll be running back in here very quickly saying jacques where's the holy water you know what i mean okay cool angels what else Baby in the manger, yes. And not only a baby, like a newborn baby. This is like brand new, brand new baby. And mangers, just by the way, are dirty. Animals sleep there. They don't only sleep there. It's dirty, they do other things in there as well. It's not a clean space. You don't want newborn babies there. Stinky, gross, filthy space. Yes, so baby in the manger, not normal. What are the weird things? One last two, two or three. Angel appeared. Yes, angels appeared and they spoke. So angels appearing is one thing, but angels speaking to people is another thing. We see this throughout Scripture. Absolutely. So we see this angel just before we start reading in from verse 8. An angel appearing to a teenage girl named Mary, saying to her, look, you're going to be pregnant miraculously by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to give birth to a boy... You'll call him Jesus. He'll be the Messiah, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, And he will be the Savior of the world. So we see this angel speaking to a teenage girl. We encounter the Holy Spirit doing a miraculous thing. And we hear that this virgin girl is going to give birth. All very strange things. And then we see this angel speaking to shepherds. The next thing we see is a heavenly host. What is a heavenly host even? What is that? An angel, a spiritual being, suddenly appears in the natural realm. Then suddenly, a large amount of spiritual beings appear in the middle of nowhere, and they start praising God. All of these, let me tell you, are not usual events. These are unusual experiences. Even in Scripture, if you go through Scripture, there's lots of those, but this is exceptional as to how many supernatural, interesting, un- unusual experiences happened back to back. Then we see these three wise men giving, bringing gifts to Jesus, gold, myrrh, frankincense, all of them obviously having specific meaning, the gold representing kingship and wealth, the frankincense was associated with deity, God, and spirituality. Myrrh, which was used for embalming. It symbolized mortality and sacrifice. Now, all of these three gifts were precious and worth a lot, but their spiritual significance was almost prophetic of exactly what Jesus was gonna be doing for us. So we see this king, the gold, being born in a stinky manger. The myrrh representing his death on the cross one day. All these things. It's like God is magnifying this particular moment. This moment, actually. All these things. It's like he's taking a highlight. you not know, like when you're highlighting your Bible. He's saying, look here. This specific moment, I need you to pay attention. It's almost like he's saying, I'm about to change everything. Look at the angel. I'm speaking to a virgin. She's going to give birth. To the Savior of the world, heavenly hosts, special gifts, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. I'm magnifying this moment. Don't miss this moment. And to top it off, there'd been 400 years of silence. God hadn't spoken to anyone through a prophet or to his nation for 400 years, and then he breaks the silence in this moment. We need to be asking why. Why is God choosing to do this fascinating and he's paying attention he wants us to pay attention to this to this crib but not the crib the the baby in the crib and I always find it fascinating because babies don't they not like they can't do much I don't know if you noticed that Mickey did you notice that like they don't do much they they can't talk like they can't walk can't change their own nappies they can't shave do you know what I mean? Nothing. They cry and they drool. It's like they actually like just lie there. I remember Peyton, my daughter. She was here in the first service. She um, she she loves the stage. I said to Peyton, "You want to come up?" And she goes, "Yes!" I'm like, no, no, stay there, relax. So new dad. She's just a couple of months old, and um, I was very. I didn't like changing nappies. My, um. A particular kind of nappy I could change. Very easy. The other one made my tummy turn. So Kara knew. Don't you, I couldn't change all of them. I can do any nappy now, but back then I couldn't. So Kara says, can you change this nappy? What, what kind of nappy is it? And I said, no, it's, it's the one you can do. I said, no, easy. I'm going to pull off my Superman thing and got the S, Super Dad thing on. like, absolutely, I can change this nappy. So I put on this nappy-changing bay With one hand, I take that onesie off. You know what I mean? The nappy comes off with one hand, wrap that thing up in the you know that You know what this is? When you step on that thing, you throw the nappy in there. Get the nappy, but you have to, you know there's like a trick when you grab those feet. Mickey, you know what I'm talking about. You grab those feet, you fling it up, you slide the nappy in, the wings out. I know exactly what I'm doing. And then the next moment, I, I hear a squeak. <laughs> I wish it was a squeak. I hear a squeak. And I think I think I would describe it as alien. Hits me on the chest and tummy in my right arm. At at unfathomable quantities. I, I don't know I, I don't know. Now here's here's what I discovered that I felt like this was a strategically timed attack. <laughs> it was aimed at my vital organs. Chest, here, liver. Kidneys, heart, my right arm specifically, because this would be the arm I would use to, de- to defend myself if I was attacked, but now I can't, I've got the left hand holding the legs. This right hand is, I can't move. I look to my side, I see my wife crying. I'm like, she's, thinks she thinks she's proud of me. No, she's laughing. She's laughing, I'm like saying, Kara, hurry up, Kara, she's not moving. The problem with this whole scene is I can't let go of these two feet to go clean myself. Because if you do, this poor child will roll off and fall. Now I have to stay there. Because babies can't do anything for themselves nothing. And then we see all of this heavenly host. See the angel speaking to Virgin Mary. We see God magnifying this moment. This moment, God magnifies. He says, pay attention. Pay attention to this, because I'm about to do something big. Jesus, as he lays here as a baby, he can't do much. Yet God chooses to say, I want you, world, to pay attention to this moment. And we've got to ask the question, why If we throw out the statement, I think every believer should recognize this and make this a a fundamental statement. Belief, if you don't believe this already. The birth of Jesus is the biggest event in all of human history. First reason for me is through his birth. Through his birth, God reveals, God is revealed. Through his birth, through the birth of Jesus, God is revealed. The name of Jesus was Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now that sounds almost insignificant, but it's massive, because let me read Colossians 1.15. Colossians 1.15 says, he is the image, some translation says the visible image. He, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Throughout history, mankind attempted to reach God, make connection with God, but We cannot. God chooses in this moment in history to break the silence. Jesus is born and he says, you cannot reach me, I will come to you. I will make myself known and, and you will know me. I, I will send Jesus and he will become the visible image of me. When you see him, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Hebrews 1 verse three says, Jesus is the express image of God. So when we see Jesus, what we're seeing is God, the way he thinks, the way he speaks, the way he treats people, everything, his character, his nature. If you see Jesus, you see God. You no longer need to wonder what God's response is going to be. You no longer need to wonder how he's feeling. Does he love me? Is he angry at me? What does he think about this? Is he merciful? Is he going to show me grace? Can I have a relationship with him? Is he angry at me? No, no, no. We no longer need to wonder. Jesus comes and he says, here I am. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is who my Father is. I'm here to show you. That's massive. We now can not only know about God, but actually know God and have a relationship with him. The birth of Jesus is the biggest event in all of human history, because through his birth, God is revealed. Colossians 2, 9, for in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you, he says, you are complete in him. You are complete in him. I'm going to pause there for a second. What that means is Adam and Eve when they sinned, they were no longer complete. They were broken, there was something lacking. Holiness was lacking. Because of that lack, they ran away from God, guilt and shame. And this today, still to date, is the enemy's strategy. His name is ha Satan, the accuser of the brethren. The strategy is to accuse you, to allow you to feel guilt and shame because you are guilty. Then you feel shame. And what do we then do when we feel guilt and shame? Same as Adam and Eve, we run from God instead of running to God. What this passage is saying is you are actually complete in Him. Even though you have sinned, you have become the righteousness of Christ. You never should run from God. You should always run to God. Because you are complete in him. That is massive. Never again do you need to not come to a worship service or experience freedom in worship because God loves you because you are complete in him because of Jesus. Second thing I want to highlight is this, that through his life, the first thing is through his birth, God is revealed. Second thing is I want to magnify this moment. Through his life, he reveals the kingdom of God. Through the life of Jesus, He reveals the kingdom of God. To help you understand this, I want to read Isaiah 61. So Jesus walks into a temple, and he pulls out the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads this specific passage about himself. This is a prophecy about Jesus, and he he reads this scripture. He says, essentially, this is me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is why Jesus came, to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of favor of the Lord. So what he's saying is, I've been anointed to bring the kingdom of God here to earth. And wherever he went, that's what he did. So I want you to think of the life and ministry of Jesus. He essentially restored wherever he went, he brought restoration. What we should have seen in the Garden of Eden, wherever Jesus went, he brought life. He, he essentially brought Eden wherever he went. For example, he, there's a woman who was sick, very sick for many years. And she hears a rumor that Jesus is going around healing people and he turns fish and bread into, he multiplies it and he feeds people and he does miraculous things. He walks on water and does incredible things. And, and she thinks that if she could encounter Jesus, she might be healed is the thought that's going on in her mind. And she was struggling with an issue of blood, which means she was unclean, which means she was rejected. She couldn't work. She was unclean. Couldn't come in in contact with people because she would make them unclean. She would defile them, which meant she had to essentially beg to earn an income, to survive, to not die. So here's Jesus. She sees him, And she knows, she can't, I suspect she was too scared to ask him for healing. So she just reaches out. Because remember, Jesus was a rabbi. And as she reaches out to this rabbi, she touches the hem of his garment, and she gets instantly healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? Who touched me? Several times he cries out, who touched me? And eventually, she, she keeps quiet several times, and eventually she responds and says, it was me. But she keeps quiet at first, I believe, because she knew that she had defiled him. She touched him and then what did she then do? Because she was unclean, what has she now done to the rabbi? She made him, what? Unclean. Now the purification process was significant. So she was essentially in trouble, she thought. Therefore she remained silent, but eventually she owned it. She said, Lord, it was me. Probably ready with an apology. Look at what Jesus does. Remember, through his life, he reveals the kingdom of God. So he says to her, my daughter, first thing he says to her, my daughter, your faith has healed you. My daughter, that's significant. Massive. Remember Adam and Eve was a son and a daughter of God. But when they sinned, they were separated from God. What he was saying was, Eve, My daughter, I'll restore you. So he was saying to this lady. You are now once again my daughter. So he restores her dignity, he purifies her, and he gives her a standing place in society again. So he says to her, you are my daughter. You are not in trouble. I love you unconditionally as a father. And he says to everybody, the whole crowd, respect her, treat her as a daughter of God from this point on. And he restores her. Wherever he went, he brought the kingdom of God. We see the same thing with a paralyzed man. He had four friends, and these four friends take him to Jesus. And all he wanted to be was healed. There he lies in front of Jesus, and he responds to this man. He says, your sins are forgiven. He does not go there for sins to be forgiven. He just wants to be healed. He wants to walk. And he gets healed when his sins are forgiven. And, and in that moment, the healing is almost irrelevant. Who cares? Because what he said to him is, was, your sins are forgiven. Because what actually was healed was his soul. His soul was restored. Because of that moment, he can now have access to heaven. He has access to all eternity. And this little speck of 70 or 80 years on earth, in comparison to eternity, is irrelevant. Whether you can walk or not walk doesn't matter. But Jesus restored eternity. He reconciled him with God when he said, your sins are forgiven. And he brings the kingdom of God into this man's soul, and he restores him. The birth of Jesus, the single biggest event in all of human history, through his life, he reveals the kingdom of God. Every single one of us today can experience the kingdom of God even now. I believe physically, and I believe in your soul, you can be and will be restored if you receive Jesus. I'm going to wrap it up with the last two points. Third one, through his death, we are reconciled to God. If you look at that cross, and it's empty on purpose. It's empty because Jesus defeated the grave, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Through his death, he reconciles us to God. I want to read this passage. Colossians 1, 20 to 22. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And he says, but now, <laughs> but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. As you sit here today, if you've received Christ, Christ presents you as Holy. You've been made perfect. You are complete in him. He's reconciled you. I've sinned against my earthly father. And I'm not in right standing with him. The moment there's reconciliation, the issue might, not be, might still be there. But there is, when there's reconciliation, I have complete access anytime. And that's what we have to God. And that's all because of what happened on the cross. Because of what Jesus did for us. You can now have access to God and a perfect relationship with him. And the last one is this. I'm going to start by reading the passage but I want the image up first, and this is an abstract image, and it speaks directly to this passage. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man, that's Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, imagine that picture. When the Son of Man comes in all His glory with all the angels with Him, He will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him. That means every one of us. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say, those on his right, come. You are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Those on the right, the sheep, those who have followed him, followed the shepherd. He says, there's been a kingdom prepared for you. God has blessed you and he's prepared this kingdom for you. There will come a day, either in our death or if we have the privilege to actually meet Jesus when he returns with the angels according to this passage, whatever that looks like. But there will come a day when you'll we'll have to answer this question. Have you received my son as your Lord and Savior? Will you spend eternity with me as a result of what Jesus did on the cross? I'm gonna make that statement again. The birth of Jesus was the single biggest event in all of human history. Because of that. Eternity is yours if you receive Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they come up, I'm going to share a brief story. Very brief. When I was in Joburg, I did lots of schools ministry, and one of the schools was fairly large. It had about 1,300 students. And a pastor shared a message of salvation with them. And, and I'm going to give you a, a spoiler, spoiler alert. The message was untrue. He lied wasn't the truth. The gospel he preached that day was not the gospel message from the Bible. This was what he told them. He said, you will one day when you die have a giant scale and on the one side, all your sins will be weighed and on the other side, all your good works and you better hope that your good works outweigh your sins because if that doesn't happen, you will go to hell. But the measurement for eternity was how many good things you did. Which means you can save yourself by doing enough good things. Which means Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the return of Jesus is irrelevant. You can save yourself was the message that day. That is not true. You cannot save yourself. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of our good works are like filthy rags to God, Scripture says. So no matter how hard we try to tip the scale in our favor, we fail every time because our good works, according to Scripture, are like filthy rags, which means our sin will always outweigh our good works. We will always fall short, always, 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 always. And then comes Jesus, who was perfect, and He then gets on the scale because he was perfect for us and on our behalf. And he tips the scale like this. As a result of what Jesus did on the cross, we get eternal life. That's called grace by faith in Jesus. Jesus, the birth of Jesus, was the single biggest event in all of history. Do you believe that this morning, church? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for what you did for us. We praise you.